Father, we thank you for this opportunity to briefly look into your word, and we thank you for the great gift it is to partake of your table week in and week out. You've set this table in the presence of your enemies for our benefit and for your glory. May we approach it as such and be profited by your word here now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the subject matter today, um, I want to approach as sort of a follow-up to a point I made the last occasion I had to stand before you. Uh, recall I spoke on Ahab's response to his distressing situation. He was involved in all manner of wickedness, and when he was defeated in battle, remember that his idolatry grew even worse. He entreated the gods of his enemies, hoping that they, sort of as a last resort, would help him. And I commented in passing that when distress comes, it's better to suffer for doing good rather than for doing bad. Clearly Ahab suffered for doing bad, but we would desire to instead suffer for doing good. And that is in 1 Peter 3:17. Ahab suffered. We will likely suffer in a variety of ways. Let's have it be for good, not for bad. But remember, many people have indeed suffered for doing good. And the text I want to focus on, Matthew 27, 37, provides one of those examples. They put over his head the accusation written against him, and it said, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So Jesus preeminently suffered for doing good. Throughout his whole life, on the way to the cross, and of course at the cross, the most distressing situation imaginable that anybody ever could face he suffered for doing good. Uh, one facet of this that I want to draw your attention to today is the charge then that he was the king of the Jews. It was actually early, this is not the first time that he was uh, assigned this label. It was at the beginning of his life, or uh, near the beginning of his life as the earthly king. Herod, here is uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor at the uh, chapter 27, but it's in chapter 2 that Herod heard that a competitor king was on the scene. And recall the wise men from the east were searching on their journey, trying to find this king of the Jews. They said, and the text reads, they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. So that was their response, their intended response to the presence of the king of the Jews, very different from what Herod's was. And so you know the rest of the story there. Jesus and his family had to flee the country in order to avoid the wrath of Herod, who would not tolerate any other king in his midst. So that was his parents' response to the distress of Herod's persecution. Uh, he was throughout, this is Jesus, was called throughout his life many other things. But it was at the time of his capture, here in Matthew 27, where we started, some 30 years after the title of king sprung up again. It was during his interrogation, as I said before, Governor Pilate. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? It's in verse 11. And he answered affirmatively, it's as you say. Instead of that answer bringing him what it should have, reverence and honor, what did it bring him? Distress, extreme distress. In the short term, it brought pain as they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, put a crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his hand and mockingly pretended to worship, bowing before him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They then, as we know the story, led him away to the cross, put the sign above his head, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So did Jesus ever sin? 
course, we know he did not. He never transgressed God's law in the least bit. He never failed to do the smallest thing that God's law required. He never then did anything evil, wrong, or bad. Yet the rulers of his day sought to persecute him, brought great distress upon him. It was because he did good, right? He didn't do bad to give them a reason to persecute him. He only ever did good. He did good in healing the sick, in proclaiming liberty to the captives, forgiving sin, exercising a divine authority that flew in the face of their uh, self-serving ecclesiastical and political systems. So it was for doing good that he faced distress. So Christian friends here, let us be reminded, uh, warned perhaps, that distress comes even to those who do good. Yet, let us be encouraged by the fact that Jesus faced the greatest distress possible, and he did it on our behalf. He suffered for doing good, uh, bearing that punishment so we wouldn't have to. And if you are not in a saving relationship with Jesus, I caution you that there is no relief. Distress has come, and it won't be Jesus bearing that distress on your behalf. You will, partly now, especially in the future, being bearing that distress for eternity. So let me leave you with an important passage from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It begins, Now we have not yet seen all things put under him. So the author there is saying, we haven't seen Jesus reigning as the victorious king. But the author continues, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. That is the result of him enduring that distress. He's already crowned with glory and honor, having tasted death on our behalf for all of his people. So let us think on that as we come to feed on him spiritually at the table he's provided for us. Let's pray. Lord God, it is remarkable that you have appointed for your son to bear this suffering for us, your people. May we not take that lightly, uh, thinking that it's just the way things work out and well, that's a good result. But may we know and see the great suffering of Jesus as happening in our place. Having taken this distress upon himself willingly, we have been set free. Not set free unto license, but free unto righteousness. And may we walk in that righteousness day by day. Pray on behalf of your people. Amen.